Hello everyone, welcome to In Conversation with Lisa Burke, where today we're going to start a mini-series on the English secondary education choices in Luxembourg. I have three guests with me and to introduce them, firstly Joanne Goebbels, who is the Vice Principal of the Ateneu de Luxembourg and Coordinator of the IB Diploma Programme and the International Classes. She herself, uh, Luxembourger, is a former student of the Ateneu and studied French literature at the Sorbonne with a Master's in comparative literature. Joanne helped to develop the international classes of the Ateneo from concept leading to the IB diploma programme and has two children aged 12 and 10. Welcome Joanne. Thank you. Hello. Nikki Crush is director of ISL, the International School of Luxembourg. She's originally from the UK and arrived in Luxembourg in 1991 with her family having previously worked in West Africa as well as the UK. She joined ISL in 1995 to teach IB geography when the school had just introduced the diploma programme and also taught English and social studies. Nikki became the director of the school in August 2015. It's her 26th year at the school and her final before she retires. So very glad to have you here also in your year of retirement. Thank you, Lisa. Great to be here. And finally, Dr. Christian Barkai, the principal of St. George's International School. Dr. Barkai has worked in both the grammar school system in the UK and as principal in two international schools in Asia, Shanghai and Jakarta, before arriving in Luxembourg in September 2013 as the first principal of the school. He grew up moving between Australia, the UK and Bavaria and has been part of a globally oriented family ever since. A graduate of the University of Durham, he enjoys the Luxembourg countryside and the history of the region. He and his wife Mirren, who comes from New Zealand and also teaches at St George's, have two children who also attend the school. Following the five-year rule and anticipating the Brexit debacle, he now proudly holds Luxembourgish, British and Australian citizenships. And you say that you're most grateful to the Luxembourg government because this is the first citizenship you actively acquired rather than simply holding through accident of birth or family ties. So welcome. Thank you very much, Lisa. Welcome to you all and for taking the time in what is effectively your half-term break to be here at RTL. We really do appreciate it. Now, as you probably all know in your positions, English educational choices for our community of listeners is always a topic at the forefront of conversation for families who are thinking about moving to Luxembourg, who are in Luxembourg. And the reason we've chosen to start with secondary education is because that final two-year exam programme is pivotal in whatever their futures will become. So firstly, let me invite you to tell me a little bit about your schools. So I'll start with the British school system. Dr Barkai, tell me about St George's British International School. Thank you very much, Lisa. I think the, the important thing about St George's is that we're a through school. So we have around 300 students in the secondary section, but in total, we have around 875 students. We have over 60 different nationalities, and although our, the largest minority would be British passport holders, they really come from all over the globe. And like my own experience, really, a number of them are passport holders from more than one country. I think what combines them and what joins them together is that when students, whether they join us in primary or in secondary, come to St George's, 
they really feel at home very, very quickly because our program, our ethos is based around creating a very, very close sense of community and really challenging each student to be the best they possibly can within our own uh, curriculum. And for ISL, Nikki, tell us a bit about that. Again, it's an international school. Some people view it as a more of an American system, but do tell us in your own words. Well, it certainly did start off originally as an American school um, established by a family, I think, who came here to Luxembourg with an American company. But in the late 90s, it changed to the international school. And although we do still hear some people say, oh, that's the American school, I think... We have to now say we've moved quite a long way away from that. The school began in 1963 and we were in Limpertsburg and we moved to the Gays Connection in 2000 with about 500 children. And like Christian said, in St George's we're also a primary school as well as a secondary school. So we have three-year-olds through to 18-year-olds. And at the moment we have just under 1,400 students Our programme obviously does run the baccalaureate diploma programme, but it's very much an inquiry-based school starting right from the little ones down in the early years programme. We've grown tremendously over the years, and I think it just reflects the the importance that parents put on an English-speaking education, even though they've got fantastic opportunities here to learn all sorts of other languages as well. We run the IGCSE programme for the moment in our grades 9 and 10, which are our 15 and 16-year-olds, as part of a preparation, if you like, for the diploma programme. But it's a great school and we're delighted that the vast majority of our students do follow the IB. Well, we'll certainly come back to IGCSEs and the IB. Joanne, tell us about the Athenée du Luxembourg. Well, um, I will be the public school around the table. So uh, we are a national public school. And just to jump in there, to one thing we haven't said is, if anybody doesn't know St George's and ISL are fee-paying schools. Yeah, and well, I'm the lucky one. <laughs> Don't pay fees when you join the international programme at the Athenee. So we're basically the oldest school of the country with a history of over 400 years. Uh, we have quite a good reputation, I have to say. We uh, have a, a staff that's really committed to their students and uh, we had the opportunity to jump into the International Baccalaureate Programme like, almost 12 years ago and uh, because the government decided that it would be good to have a public school offering that programme, uh, giving international students the opportunity to come into an, uh, a public school And uh, what I'm very proud of is that although the school has 1,600, almost 1,600 students, uh, there are 250 students in the international program. And what I like about that is that they are inside a school community, part of a national system, but they follow an international program, but they do have that link to the community, to the country they live in. So they basically have the chance to meet up with the Luxembourgers, if they still exist, and uh, those who went through the national system from primary school up to secondary school. And uh, we don't offer primary school. So we start in uh, seventh grade students. We take students in when they turn 11 uh, by the year they uh, they join the program, by the end of August to be 
specific because uh, that sometimes is an issue with parents. So you need to be 11 by August 31st if you want to join seventh grade. And then you pursue the seven years of secondary school at the Ateneo and they lead up to the IB diploma program in the two final years. So we are an official IB school for the two final years and the five years uh, preparing to the IB. That's a program our staff uh, with me and the ministry, we... Um, we put together in respect of what is expected from the students uh, in the two final years. And that's what I want to explore uh, in the next uh, 30 minutes or so. But starting with the fundamental difference, uh, Dr. Barkai, could you tell us, Christian, what A-levels are for those who don't know? This is uh, a fundamentally British system, really. It is, yes. And it probably leads more to British universities, although they're open to all sorts of diplomas at the end of secondary education globally, of course. But tell our listeners, what are A-levels? Well, essentially, A-levels were, they're an English qualification, English and Welsh qualifi- qualification, and essentially they are, they are in-depth um, academic programmes that are studied for two years. They used to be a mixture of um, curricular assessment and end-of-term end of exams. Academic reforms in the UK have meant that They've essentially shifted to the to the exams at the end of the two years. Most students will start with four A levels, and then finish with three at the end of the two year program. And although they're essentially developed, they were essentially developed by examination boards, so they're independent of government. They're not set by any particular school. They're set by examination boards in the UK. They are now truly global. So with three A-levels or with four A-levels, you can study anywhere in the world, really. Any reputable university in the world, whether it's in the UK, in America, in Germany, France, Luxembourg, Belgium, you know, you don't really have any geographical uh, constraints at all. So just to think about the A-levels then, what is quite different to the IB or the EB system is that you really refine your studies to three stroke four very occasionally five subjects. Yes, absolutely. And you have, in a sense, in a sense, a very much a free choice. So unlike the IB, where you have to study a broader range of subjects, um, normally the two languages, uh, mathematics, and uh, at least one science, for A-level, you, can, you have a really free choice in the type of subjects you can choose. And that has advantages and disadvantages. And in my previous... Um, two roles as principal in Asia. Both my schools were actually IB diploma schools and I had IGCSE programs. So I know the disadvantages and advantages of, of both cro- programs quite well. The advantage I would say with, with A-level is that if you know what you want to study, it can help you because you can say, I want to be, you know, you want to work in the sciences, you can take the three sciences and perhaps mathematics as well. If you want to uh, work in the social sciences, you can focus on that area. And equally, if you're not quite sure, you can still study a range of subjects. And one of the things that St. George's does very well, I think, although I would say that, um, <laughs> is, to, is to look at the individual needs and the indiv- individual interests of each student and try and match our programme to their choices. So... 
For example, we use uh, an online timetabling system where we um, put in all the student choices that we have and that then generates our timetable. We don't say we have a timetable and then we allow, then we force our students to fit that. It's the other way around. That's very clever, very modern. Well, we try. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's not for everyone. And so, you know, equally, the IB is a very academically uh, focused and ambitious program, as are A-levels. So I think each parent, each family needs to think very carefully about what particular path they want their children to go down. I think you have a, a wide choice in Luxembourg, and that's a real advantage. I think that's one of the real, really positive things that the government has done is to give parents a choice of a wide range of English language mediums. But the, the problem is when you're choosing for your children, which most parents do at the age of around 10 or 11, they don't always know what the end point of this is, hence this conversation. And so now I look to my two IB representatives here. So between the two of you, can you tell our listeners what the IB Diploma Programme is about and what it offers that is distinguishable to A-levels? Sure. I can. And Go ahead, Nikki. Joanne's going no. to jump in. <laughs> I'm going to jump in, maybe. Um, yeah. it's, it is different, but they are equivalents. I think that's important to remember as, as far as universities are concerned. But you have to study six subjects at the diploma level, and you have to study three at higher level and three at standard level. Occasionally, there are students who do four hires and three, uh, two standards, but generally speaking, you would follow that kind of programme. Now, Slightly different to the A-levels, as Christian alluded, you have to keep maths going, you have to do um, English if that's the main medium of your school, you have to do another language, you have to do sciences and you have to do social sciences as well. There's also a group six, which is composed of music and uh, theatre art, all yep. sorts of subject areas, which you can also opt to do as well. So it's a very broad In addition program. or...? No, as part of the programme, because you have to follow the six subjects. You also have to study theory of knowledge as part of the programme, which is looking at ways of thinking, ways of knowing. And you have to take part in creativity, action and service and become an, involved in projects as far as those areas are concerned as well. So there, it, it is very academic, it is a broad programme. It allows you to really keep all your options open. And even if you know exactly what you want to do at university, you can still opt for a, a plan of, of subject areas that allows you then to go on to whatever it is you want to study. What I hear coming back from alumni is that when they go off to university, those who have, say decided to study science at university have still had a lot of experience of writing essays, for example. And those that go into the humanities areas have had to continue with science and mathematics all the way through school and therefore kept that kind of level up. At the same point, it may not necessarily be for every student um, because there are some students who really do not want to study certain subject areas when they get to 16 or 17. So I think it's a very broad-range programme. Mm. It's very rigorous. There's absolutely no question there is an awful lot of work to do in the programme. And so the students need a lot of support and they have to go into the programme knowing that they must start that programme of effort right from the very beginning. Yeah. Joanna, I'm sure you've got... Yeah, and that you, you mentioned it, but you... 
you didn't say that the extended essay yes, was sorry, part yes. of the core requirements of mm-hmm. the IB. So every student has to write uh, an extended essay in the two final years, which is a 4,000 word uh, essay. And um, they can do it in whichever subject mm-hmm. they want to choose. So they can do a scientific one, they can do uh, economics, uh, English literature, whatever. And uh, that brings them... I think a maturity that many students will lack when they come from other programs, other diplomas. So that's the feedback I get from my students when mm-hmm. uh, when they return to Luxembourg after a year or two or three or even five. And we get in touch and they say uh, the, the best thing that the IB taught me was that uh, autonomous work, mm-hmm. knowing how to uh, arrange my time off and uh, writing an essay, doing the research, knowing how to quote. Uh, and uh, they arrive at university in the first year and most of them, I honestly, I think I would, I'd say 90% say that the first year is quite easy. Yes, agreed. If not uh, yeah. easy peasy. Mm-hmm. So their first year, usually they do that with their hands in the pockets. and uh, Lucky them. Yeah, I, no, that wasn't really my experience. <laughs> no, that's the thing. When I arrived at university in France, uh, to be honest, I've never written anything longer than three or four pages. Uh, so, uh, and handwritten. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Back in the days, yes. you know. So, um, and that's something which makes the IB for me very special and uh, which prepares them. But it's it's true you need to have that uh, academic uh, willingness and you need to be prepared i mean as schools and i guess it's the same for for the three schools around us around the table we do want them to be autonomous workers and we prepare them throughout secondary school we you might start already in primary school uh, but that's the most important thing for me that they learn how to learn and they learn how to question what they learn and how do you support that as a school? I think we they have to do lots of project works. They yeah. have to do lots of research already. <clears throat> Sorry, from seventh grade onwards, they, they start doing in group works or also uh, by themselves in every subject. Um, and then we installed, uh, since we offer just the IB in the two final years, we've installed, we start now in 10th grade, they do their first research paper in English literature because they all have to take English literature at the end. So that's the first paper they have to write, which is of a certain importance and which weighs quite a lot in their final mark. And in the pre-IB year, so in 11th grade, they do what we call the personal project, which is also a bit inspired by what is done in the MYP. Mm -hmm. And uh, there they already can choose their subject uh, in which they want to do their research project. So it's already a pre-extended essay uh, work they have to do in, in grade 11. And uh, then I think it's throughout the, the seven years. We really teach them how to be autonomous. I know it's not something given. And uh, as Nikki said, uh, there's also a lot of commitment from the, the staff. I mean, we yeah, all absolutely. are available for our students. Uh, I wouldn't say 24 hours a day, but almost. Sometimes when you receive emails, emails late in the evening, you do respond because, you know, it's important for them. And uh, uh, so I think the, the, the commitment of the staff is definitely different than it has to be it has to be yeah it It, it is required from and i mean when when we meet new staff members it's the first thing i tell them we always have a meeting at the beginning of the year when there's new people joining i always say we are a small family 
in this big building because we are 250 students and uh, say I think I have 45 uh, teachers teaching in the international system now. Uh, and we function as a family, so we need to know that we can count on each and every one and that you have to sometimes walk the extra mile. Um, but the the echoes I receive also from the teachers, most of them, if if they get into that IB spirit and the whole international community, um, they're so happy to teach there because they, they can also see the results with the students. Um, I mean... I I taught in both systems. I, I now only teach in the international system, but I do sometimes, due to my function, spend uh, lessons in the national system. And I see the differences between an international student, which can come from the national system, or the national system students. And uh, it always amazes me how much they want to know. And something that many kids in the national system seem to lose at one point, that that inquirer thing where you, yeah. you, you just want to question everything, which is normal for a kid for age seven, eight, nine, ten, but then they start to mm -hmm. come into puberty and they lose that. And I, in the international classes, I, I really see, it's not the 24 students, but 20 out of 24 still have that willingness to question everything. And they won't stop and they can be annoying with the teacher mm -hmm. if they don't trust the answer. They will want to have one way, two ways, three ways of knowing why this is supposed yeah. to be what I have to know. And, and that's critical, really. Yes. And that's because the, part of the IB is actually inculcating a sense of international mindedness. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that's really critical. And keeping up the curiosity and the it questioning is. learning. That kind of inquiry-based learning that you start when they're very small moves into, as Joanne was saying, a kind of project-based type of learning so that they are spending time becoming critical thinkers mm -hmm. at a very early age. And in our primary school, we have a culture of thinking which comes out of Harvard University, Project Zero. And it's really encouraging small children to kind of wonder, why does that happen? What, what made that work? Why doesn't that work? How, how can I do things differently? And instead of... I always think of when we were at school, you felt a little bit like a bird in a nest with its mouth open and they were just kind of yeah. pouring the food in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you regurgitated that food five years later. Well, hopefully education systems are trying to keep pace, yes. but it's hard with the technology. Now, Christian, I want to turn to you because prior to this um, interview, we had a little chat online about how easy or not easy it is to get a higher mark in A-levels compared to the IB. And you were very eloquent in what you were explaining to me. And so just to tell our listeners, the IB is marked out of 45 in these six subjects. And A-levels... A-levels are marked, well, from sort of fail to A-star. The advantage with, I think, with the marking in the A-level system is that a nine, not roughly 90%, you have to score 90% in an, in a, an exam to get an A-star. But that is... Uh, that depends on the examination boards, and it does change from year to year. So, very, very harshly speaking, it's much, it's more likely that a student is going to get three A stars than forty-five. <laughs> Which is a really uh, important had, consideration I mean, yes, when it absolutely. comes to university I mean, I've entrance. Had, um, I've had in. Uh, 
in my years of experience in, in IB diploma schools, I've had three students who've had 45 points and they've been exceptional. And they would have been exceptional students yeah. in whatever system they would have worked in, whether they, they, whether they took A-levels or I, the IB programme or done the European back, or they'd been in the national system. These were really the sort of, I don't know, 0.1% of <laughs> yeah. the... You know, there's 55,000 55, graduates each year out of the IB programme, roughly, and about 120, 140 students out of those 55,000 get 45 mm -hmm. points. So the, expect, the, the problem then is when you go to a university and a university says, well, our expectation is that you get 42 or 43 points, that's very, very high. And the burden on a student then to perform equally well across all six subjects, because they have to do really well in all six subjects to get 42, 43 points, is for me often... A difficulty when I'm advising parents whether they should take the A-levels or the IB diploma program. The advantage with the, with the A-levels is that you can really focus on the subjects that you're particularly enthusiastic about. Mm -hmm. And in that respect, um, you can then go to a, comp a competitive university in the US or in the UK or elsewhere, and you have your three A-stars, and you're then on a playing field, on a, a clear play, level playing field with everyone else who's applying to these equally competitive universities. And then it's down to the interview, then it's down to pre-university uh, entrance exams, for example, which more and more universities are using. And then it's also down to your own personality. And I think what Joanne and Nikki were saying and what I'd like to um, agree with is if you look at the success stories in the three schools of the students that have gone on to very good universities worldwide, it's not so much down to the programme, I think. It's more down to the enthusiasm, the expertise, the professional competence of the teaching staff as well and the ethos that each school builds up with each student. You know, this sense of wonder, the sense of engagement, the sense of wanting to actually um, develop an inquiring mind. And for us, certainly, that's something that I see in all of our graduates at the school when they, um, when they go off to university, because the vast majority of our students do go to universities. Um, that's this sense of being well prepared for university and having a, a really good understanding of what a, um, how to write a, a good essay, how to ask inquiring and open questions. So I think that's really important for us. I think the one of the things that parents need to do is to look at the entry requirements for universities as well very carefully because I know from my own previous experiences as principal in Asia that uh, some universities still have an unrealistic expectation when they look at the, at the IB grades and... Um, Whereas three A stars at A level means an, a student is academically bright and hardworking, a student with forty five points is a is a different uh, animal, so to speak, <laughs> but a very rare say, beast. Yeah. Forty yeah. plus already. It's yeah. pretty start, impressive. Uh, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. So it, but it 
But that's something yeah. that university admissions officers don't necessarily recognise. No, it is Not about yet. educating the yeah. university admissions department. Well, that's, that's been going. Sure. That's been going, going on for twenty time. years. Yeah. But it's getting better. Yeah. We is. are finding yeah. it's getting yeah. substantially better. But, but it's, it's true that it's sometimes frustrating because yes. uh, you see brilliant students mm -hmm. and you know that they've worked so hard mm -hmm. to get a 42 mm -hmm. or 43 or 41 even. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they don't get into their top one choice because they have that unrealistic idea that you can score 45 in the IB like this, although you have to take six subjects and you have to take, I mean, I would have been lost, to be honest. As a student, I was in, uh, I did an A section in the national system, which is languages, obviously. I went off to study French. Uh, now I work partly in French, partly in English. If I had had to take math up until the end and a science up until the end, I would have struggled. And I see that with some mm -hmm. students because some are very scientific yeah. and they would most probably perform uh, three A stars in an uh, A level system. But in the IB, since they also have to focus on uh, English literature, they also have to focus on a second language. And they will take, I don't know, economics for us, it's economics or history or visual arts or German as a third language. It's tough for them. So they can have uh, three sevens in their HL subjects, which mm -hmm. is also not the easiest path to, to achieve. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe they will have one of the, the three SL subjects where... Yeah, it's not their cup of tea. So in the end, SL they will and have HL meaning higher level, higher level standard, standard level. Yeah, yes. sorry, it's our mm -hmm. we're too much into it. But uh, yeah, so you, I don't know, you you can have straight A students, but they will struggle in one or two subjects that they have to take up until the end. So it's a bit of a gamble for a parent looking at their 10, 11 year old thinking, hmm, are you going to become a specialist or not? Because at that age, we don't really know. <laughs> well, well, we, we yes, must say. Because the goal yeah. in the end will be the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's a question of which route they want them to go. Because and I gives them most confidence internally. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the standard level uh, subjects yeah. are not a breeze either. People no. think, oh, they're just standard no, level, no, no. but there's a pretty good academic level for yeah. them as well. No, I mean, one of the things we looked at was, well, one of the things I've looked at historically is the, is the comparison between mathematics, for mm -hmm. example, at mathematics at standard level. A lot of that material is covered in maths A level. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of equivalence there. Um, but I just wanted to pick up the point that, um, you know, you're, you're saying, well, we have to, parents have to worry or might be concerned about whether children... Have to think children. about it. Um, the advantage with Luxembourg is it's a small international community and children can and do move from one mm -hmm. system to the other mm -hmm. with a fair amount of flexibility. I mean, mm -hmm. we do receive occasionally students into year 12, into our programme, who have been at other... Mm -hmm. um, other schools in Luxembourg and they've moved precisely because they want to do A-levels rather than IB and equally I've had students move from us mm -hmm. um, I must say one or two to the Atene <laughs> but, but generally to ISL because they want to take the IB mm -hmm. diploma so in a sense that you, you do have a certain amount of flexibility for a, a fair amount of time. And, you know. and you can move. Yeah. I you mean, can it move isn't set school school. in stone. 
if it's in the international system. Certainly there is that flexibility, which I I think is good for all parents to have that option. And I just wanted to then ask the two IB representatives here um, what you offer, because I know at the Atenee it's a smaller section right now. So when it comes to the final choices of subjects, what subjects do the students have to do and what choice do they have? Well, um, so there's the six groups. Group one is the main language and at the Atenee that's English. So they all have to take an English literature class. And five hours or three hours, uh, eight higher level standard level. Group two is always a foreign language. At the Atenee, we offer French. We have to offer French, but it's also a good thing because if they do that, they can receive an equivalence with the Luxembourgish uh, National Diploma, which can be of help if you want to come back to Luxembourg afterwards, which opens a few doors in the fonction public, for example, so you can ask for that equivalence. That's the group two French. Uh, they take up French up until the end. In group three, that's uh, for us, it's history or economics. And in group four, it's the science group. Uh, we offer the three main sciences, physics, chemistry and biology. In group five, it's mathematics. And we offer the standard level and the higher level uh, choice. And in group six, as Nikki said before, that's usually the one where you can uh, mm-hmm. choose a bit your special uh, special specialization. Um, and uh, so in at the Atenee, you can take visual arts. Uh, you can pursue German as a second language, uh, but there you would take it as a third language. Or then you can pick either a second science, uh, biology and chemistry or physics and chemistry. Or you can uh, pick uh, a second, uh, I was going to say humanities, well, either economics or history again. So if you want to study um, engineering, for example, you'd take a second science in group six. If you're more into uh, law or politics, uh, you'd take history and economics because... That definitely is going to help you. But it's not possible to take the three sciences at the Atene. No, you can't. And uh, we've had students taking a seventh subject, Mm -hmm. the three sciences. Mm -hmm. But But then you have to get permission from the IB to actually do that in actual fact. I mean, it is possible. It is possible, but you can't take the three at uh, HL. So you have to take two... uh, Two sciences at higher level in math then, because you're definitely into sciences. And then you can take the third science as a seventh subject. But to be honest, at the Atenee, we did that once for two students. And then we had to stop because our schedule, and that's super annoying, but our schedule became impossible. Because it is a small program, we have 40 students in the final year, 40 students in the previous year, in the first IB year. And our schedule already is tough because uh, they have classes starting at 8 and it can go up to 5.20 in the afternoon with huge holes in the middle. A bit already like at university, so they can spend three, four hours in the afternoon where they don't have class and then they have a final lesson at uh, 20 to 5 and those are long days. And if we were to offer more subjects, that would mean that either we would restrict the students in their choices, saying that, okay, you take either the language course or the science course or the humanities, and then we would fix a schedule, like uh, Christian said before, we would fix the schedule and the students would have to fit into the schedule. But we want to leave them the possibility to choose their subjects, so we can't offer 
the whole range of wonderful subjects that the IB offers. And I'm sometimes frustrated by that fact because I'd love to have geography, I'd love to have psychology or sociology. Or music. Music. Uh, well, they can do they can do a lot of music at the Ateneo with the national system. That's always the thing. We have uh, a wide, wide branch of uh, music history in our school. We always have our famous Collegian concert every year and uh, the international students participate there as well. But they do not get an, a diploma in music. That's true. And for ISL, I imagine because it's uh, a bigger school, it's been going with the IB for longer the teachers are set up to just do the IB, I suppose they have different choices. Well, all of the teachers who teach the IB teach in other grade levels as well. So we don't have many teachers who only teach at the IB. I mean, we do that deliberately so that they have a good understanding, if you like, of where the students are coming from academically before they get But in the sense that you're not marrying it with the Luxembourg system? No, we don't have to do that. And we have slightly larger classes as well. We have just over 100 in each grade level. So we can offer more choice. So as Joanne was saying, in the six groups, in the group one, we do offer English, French and German. And then in group two, we offer French, German and Spanish ab initio. So you can begin it um, as a beginner at that level if you want to. In group three, which are the humanities for want of a better um, word, we have history and geography and business and economics. And then in group four in the sciences, again, we offer physics, chemistry and biology, but also um, sports and exercise science as well, which is another option for some students who don't love science. Mm. Um, (laughs) We have the advantage of being able to do that. And then in maths, we offer all levels um, because there are now two new maths programmes from the last couple Mm. of years, which are both offered at higher and standard level. And And that's a very much a change up. I think Mm. in mathematics, I think most of us feel mathematics has become a little bit more challenging for some of the (laughs) non-mathematically geared students, you might say. (laughs) You know, that's that's the way it is. Mm -hmm, Um, But mm -hmm. that is our advantage. And we do build our schedule around the first year of the IB students' choices so that, like Joanne, they can do what subjects at the moment that they like. We haven't had to fix them into groups. Mm -hmm. And then we build the rest of our schedule around that. Now, I wanted to come back to IGCSEs, which actually ISL and St George's offer, because I feel it's uh, possibly thought that the A-levels suddenly cut out what could be viewed as very important subjects, because in many countries, the European Baccalaureate, the Luxembourg system, although you do define your choices nearer the end, the Irish system, you have a, a wide breadth of choice and subjects to do as well. But with the GCSEs, there you have to do a certain number of subjects, minimally about nine upwards. And so there you're coming out with what is viewed as a real certificate across the board. So perhaps, Christian, you can tell us about the IGCSEs. No, certainly. I mean, um, you know, ISL offers a a range of Mm -hmm. IGCSEs. We offer a, a comprehensive number and essentially uh, it's always um, English language and literature. And to say these are the two years prior to These are the two years A-levels. prior to A-level. So you'd start doing this at the beginning of year 10 or grade 9. Yes. Uh, that's the other confusing thing. You know, <laughs> grades <laughs> and years. Um, or uh, is it a sankium? No, I, think, I think it's in the 10th grade. Catherine, yes. Yeah, because you go yeah, on one we year. go up to yes. 13th grade. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you do English language and literature. 
you'll do mathematics, uh, you do the three sciences, but we teach the uh, what is essentially called the coordinated science. So it's two IGCSEs, but it's three distinct subjects. And actually, in our case, it's uh, three subject specialists who teach the uh, the coordinated sciences. And then there's uh, an additional uh, four options. So students choose from about 15 choices and they they make their choices. And again, that's a relatively free choice, although it is slightly constricted. So we do, we do say we want to make sure that a student has a wide range of uh, a broad church of, of choices at IGCSE. I think one of the things that I've noticed um, working with Cambridge as the examinations board, but also Pearson and other and other boards, is that um, w- you need to make sure that the students don't specialise too early. It's one thing to say at 16, yes, I know that I want to be a scientist. Yes, I know I want to be a, um, a social uh, a social sciences. Yes, I know I want to work in the arts and the expressive arts. But at 14, that's a little bit too early. So we do ask students to have a really broad range of, of um, subject choices. And again, you know, we punch it up into the magic mystery box and hope that... Um, <laughs> Hope that a working timetable appears. <laughs> I think the I think the advantage with the IGCSEs, and this is one one of the reasons why we've uh, we've kept them going, is that and and really are are enthusiastic about them, is that they allow us a publicly assessed checkpoint mm-hmm. when they're sixteen. So we can say, okay, before they go on to A levels. Um, we've just got a, a, a little bit of a, a check there to see that they're on track, that they're performing well, and it's a publicly um, set examination against international standards across the world. Cambridge operates in more than 140 countries, so um, the standards that they're assessed against are truly global. And the advantage is also for globally mobile um, families is that a large number of international schools, whether they they come from a British tradition or a more international tradition, you know, the American tradition or um, so on, a lot of them use IGCSEs as a benchmark at the end of Key Stage 4. And now I'm using jargon, so when they're 16. Um, but that allows people then to move easily, you know, if you need to go to Paris or if you need to move to Shanghai or if you move need to move to Seattle or you need to go to, um, you know, Jakarta. <laughs> With the that... IGCSEs, you've got a clear a clear uh, benchmark of, of performance that a new school can look at and go, yes, I know what the student has achieved, and so therefore they can move into the sixth form, into the last two years of education, fairly straightforwardly. But on that point also, what would be your recommendation for families who may have to move country every so often of when never to move a child, if at all possible. Mid-program. So effectively the mid... grade 11, please don't do it. <laughs> please don't do it if you can avoid yeah. it. It's really yeah. tough for students then. Yeah. So when your child is in... What Halfway through the diploma program, it's really tough. We don't take them in at that stage. It's very uh, rare. Occasionally we do have a transfer in from yeah. another international school and then we have to look and see and hope that we offer all the same subjects yeah. that they've yeah. already been doing and we've had to use tutors occasionally and even keep in contact with their teachers from their previous schools. But it's rare that really um, we have a student coming in in the final year. 
because parents are usually across they it by then <laughs> to avoid it. <laughs> and and then uh, we've been working our way backwards from what universities think through to the choices at A-levels or the IB programme down into the IGCSEs. Now, the Atene doesn't do that. Mm. And also with the IB, in fact, what is uh, different is there's something called the Middle Years Programme, which is more recent. So why has the Ateneo chosen to do its own internal system? Um, the blunt answer would be uh, economic reasons, I guess, because uh, the Middle Years Programme is also a costly programme from the uh, International Baccalaureate Organisation. So the government decided that the Ateneo would offer the two final years. And uh, that's something the school pays for every year. So there's a fee that we have to pay as a school to be able to offer the IB diploma program. And uh, since we've been doing quite a good job with our preparatory years uh, over the past 10 years, um, we never chose the path to offer the, the actual MYP, the middle years program, because again, it would be a costly one and... Uh, uh, and since it's been working quite well, I mean, we have every five years the the visit from the the, the revision of the program from the IBO. So they check if everything is up to date and up to their standards. Uh, and for now, we've been doing that quite well. So we didn't see, see necessary to offer the MYP. And I mean, we've had the success we, we've had over the years. Uh, mostly every year we don't have any spaces available after the admission process so I don't see I think that the parents trust our program our reputation as well and our staff and I mean parents talk to each other so uh, I guess the best uh, publicity is always our students talking to other students and their parents talking to other parents so uh, we've been working quite well this way and I don't think that we're going to change uh, our course. Uh, we will continue offering our seven years of secondary education and the two final years being the official IB diploma programme as set from Geneva throughout the world. Which again is an important point to just underline in case any parents are thinking, well, hopefully my child could go to the Ateneo IB programme and then if we need to move, they can transfer. It might not be the case because the subjects might not gel with the school in the other country, potentially. Uh, since we, all the subjects are taught in English. So if you choose an English speaking school afterwards, we've never had an issue with the student transferring abroad uh, from the Ateneo. We I might have, have uh, I, I might have to write a, a little letter, but that takes me an mm -hmm. afternoon, and then I'm done. And uh, so, that shouldn't be an issue. It's more complicated for us to take students in in the middle of the year. So that's something we rarely do because we are a small group, and again, we don't have mm -hmm. the tutoring that's offered at ISL or St George's as well, and uh, and. When we reach maximum capacity, we reach maximum capacity. I can't take one more student in or two more students. And um, and we also work with admissions. So students have to sit admission tests to, to join the international program. And there as well, to put the kids through that pressure in the middle of their, their, their school year, it's... Uh, We've done it two or three times for exceptional cases where there was really no other no other 
option for the kids. Uh, there was no space at ISL, nor no St. George's, and we did that. But it's it's tough on the kids. So I agree with Nikki. Don't make your kids move schools in after their first year of the IB. But it's also tough in the middle of the year. I know that sometimes the job opportunity comes, and but I always try to tell the parents. Is there no way that they can stay, I don't know, with the grandparents or something and finish their year and then they start off in September with us, uh, clean plate, we don't have to uh, worry, they don't have to worry. So, uh, And not just academically, but from a friendship point yes. of view as well yeah. and a yes, peer group point of view. Tough. When they arrive in April, uh, it's a tough cookie for them. And yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. So I, I prefer, definitely prefer the admission procedure takes its uh, course and the students join us uh, in September when the school starts and they can start afresh with all the others. From from our perspective, one of the things that we find works is um, we will happily accept students mid-year, but only in the lower secondary and in primary. Mm-hmm. So year seven, year eight, year nine, I'm happy to take students mid-year if there's no, you know, if the family needs to move mid-year. And I think one of the things that uh, certainly my school exhibits is a, a willingness to, to welcome students. And indeed, um, a lot of my students actively volunteer to be buddies mm-hmm. to new students when they when they arrive. And if that does happen in mid-year, then that happens in mid-year. So I think the thing that we're all agreed on is that you, we don't really want to move a student mid-program, whether that's IGCSEs or the IB or A level. You know, yeah, you want to finish. You want mm-hmm. to finish those t- the, that two-year program, um, and then move. Um, but earlier on, you know, parents often have no choice, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. uh, and schools do need to look at that and be flexible as as far as possible. And we and there are a group of students, um, particularly coming from Asia, who often arrive or or depart in the kind of January, mm-hmm. February, March and Australia period too, because they have a slightly different school year. So we often have another intake in kind of January, February. But as Christian said, they tend to be the younger students and they still have that little bit more flexibility of programme to be able to come in and integrate and make friends before the end of the school year. And Joanne, you've brought us right back to that entrance point, how to apply. So for the Atenee, there is an entrance exam. All of the information is online and I can pop that up on the article associated with this. Now, for both ISL and St George's, I imagine you stick to the the age group, which is known in the British and the, well, international system. I'm not going to say American system, <laughs> which is around about at 11, you, you, you move. However, one of the questions that our audience have asked is so many children here attend the local school and compared to the British American systems, they often start one year later, finish one year later, Mm -hmm. and they might want to pivot to an English secondary education. So at what age would you want them to apply? Would you want them to finish the Luxembourg system and then apply? Or would you like them to apply at the age of 11, which would be the equivalent of five years of the Luxembourg Mm -hmm. system? We're very flexible about that. And I think, you know, it's going to vary because they're coming from all over the world and they're coming from all over different systems as well. But we have a 31st of August, as I think Mm. most people do, cut-off date. And we do have a a fairly um, extensive admissions 
process. And once students get up into the secondary school, we do have some testing that takes place, but it tends to be placement testing um, more than anything so that we can place them effectively um, in the classes that are best going to benefit them. But I think that we do have to be flexible because you're you're coming from all over the world um, where some children don't start school till they're seven or eight years old and they haven't started to learn to read and write until then. So you've got to look at what's their background. And how do you integrate the languages as well? If perhaps you have students, which I'm quite sure you all do, who might have English spoken at home but have not learned in English, how do you account for that? Well, one of... One of the ways to do that is, um, you know, you, you'd essentially look at the chronological age when you admitted a child into, into a particular year group. You'd then test for their English and mathematical ability, for example, at a, at a minimum, so that you can put them in the correct stream. You know, we, we do stream roughly, not very, very, in very great detail, but we do have uh, specific programs for students who have English as a second language students with uh, little English or that uh, might have come from a, a different program. So it's a question of making sure that they, they come up to speed quite quickly. And because the classes are relatively small and the teachers are very good, they tend to pick up languages, pick up ability quite quickly. And it's important to recognise that EAL learners and Almost 70% of my students are EAL students when they start. Meaning EAL? English is a second language or English is an additional language. In other words, English isn't their mother tongue. Um, the important thing to recognise there is that if you're teaching other subjects in English, the English as an additional language learner has to overcome not just the linguistic barrier, but also the barrier of the actual subject. So once they've overcome that linguistic barrier, it's they're fine. Mm -hmm. But it's just a question of making sure that they can do that, and uh, yeah. and that's uh, that's yeah. a challenge. I mean, you, I think probably ninety five percent of our three year olds are not English speakers when they first arrive at school. So, in our early years program, and I'm sure it's very similar with Christian, our teachers have got to be. English language teachers as well, because these children are learning to read and write in a language that probably is not their mother tongue. It becomes slightly different when you get to secondary school when it's becoming now language acquisition. But when they're very small, that's the advantage of slightly smaller classes and the expertise of the teachers, because they really are teaching the children to read and write in what for them is an additional language. And the rules for the Ateneo for application, you want them to finish the Luxembourg system before applying? They have to finish a primary education, whichever system they come from. So if they come from the national system, they will be a year older. If they come from the British system, they will be a year younger, uh, depending. But we adapt. Uh, but we have that rule saying that they have to finish their primary education. And I tend to tell the parents if they went through the national system to wait up until 10th grade to join the international program at the Atene at that point. Because despite the fact that there, I see quite a few things I would change in the national system, which I would take from the Luxembourgish system, from the international system, sorry. One thing that we still manage in the national system is teaching languages. And if you want to stay in Luxembourg, I think 
having that level of French and German that you get in the national system uh, can only be a plus afterwards. So uh, I usually... I can't force them, of course. If they want to put their kids through the admission test for seventh grade, I always tell them, well, it's maybe their mother tongue, but they never learned to write or read in English. Most of them read in English. I mean, I always look at my kids. Uh, we have nothing to do with the English community. My my ex-husband and I were both uh, Luxembourgers, born and bred. My two kids, aged 10 and 12, speak perfectly English. They... Um, listen to uh, English music, they watch uh, English movies, they even read English books. But when it comes to writing, I, I just told my son, who's now in the time where he has to pick uh, his secondary school, yesterday evening was his birthday, he was saying, well, I think I'm, I'm going to go to the Ateneo, to the international classes. And I was like, darling, uh, the tests are in uh, four weeks. I don't know if we can catch up on uh, five years of English uh, writing in... You're smart, but maybe not that smart. But he is a shoe-in. He knows yeah, somebody for, close yeah, to him. No, no, forget that. Uh, no, that's the thing. I was astonished when at first you said your kids are at St. George's because that's a question. I, as a parent, now it's a parent talking, I always ask myself, do I want to have my own kids in my school? <laughs> and I'm not British and they're nice kids and they're well-educated. But it's the thing, when you're the boss... I don't know how, how the staff reacts it's to that. It's a challenge. And I think it's a challenge. My, yeah. my children is. didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I think the, the, the challenge is, as Joanne says, I mean, one of, the, one of the challenges is, you know, when you want students to be successful and happy, you know, to be really positive about their own learning and about their educational experience, and this is something that is really essential because if a, a child is happy in their learning, they will learn better and they will learn more and they will be happy to come to school every day. Mm -hmm. you know, not every child is going to be happy all the time. You know, that's unless they're... You know. <laughs> on drugs. <laughs> well, I didn't want to Unusual. say that. <laughs> we can say it on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but the but the the the, no, the real no the real advantages if you've got really enthusiastic, genuine, engaging teachers, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. good subjects, then the students will learn and they will want to learn and they will see school not as a as something to be overcome and something to be endured, but it's actually something to be enjoyed and something to be treasured. When they when they look back on their education, and I think that's one of the important aspects of schools like the ISL, like St George's, like the Ateneo, that their teaching staff really enthuse that love of learning and a, a love of um, of progress, and that's really important. I mean, for all of it us, is really very mm -hmm. important, and more so than ever, as we've seen yeah. over the last year or so, with so much kind of learning from home, yeah. the students are desperate to be at school. Mm -hmm. well, that's a lovely final thought. Are there any other final thoughts for our listeners? Too many. <laughs> well, we could go on for hours. We love our jobs. I, I love our think what Christian our said is really, really important. The happiness of students yeah. is more important than anything else. And that's very difficult. Parents feel that tremendously, but they also feel the pressure. They yeah. want them to be successful and they see that in the form of academic results. And I think that more than ever, you actually need to balance that with their well-being mm -hmm. as well, because that is tremendously important. That's our job usually. Yes. Trying to persuade the parents that 
school is not everything. Because <laughs> although we live in our schools yeah. and we love our jobs, uh, there's definitely definitely something else out there. There's a life and, beyond uh, school. Yeah, definitely. Yes. And uh, I totally agree with both of you. Uh, yeah. The happiness of the students is first off the happiness mm -hmm. of the human being. And then their It job is. is to be a student for a while. But uh, to be an, uh, a good student, you need to be a happy person and a yeah. balanced person and... Uh, School can help, of course, they, because they spend most of their awakened time inside yeah. a classroom. Yeah. Hopefully awake. Um, hopefully awake. <laughs> oh, they're always awake. Oh, come on. <laughs> no. But uh, I'm always amazed and I think uh, you'd agree the, the best ambassadors to talk about our they schools are, would be our former students are. because uh, yeah. I think they went through it yep. and uh, they've seen the teachers, they've seen uh, the staff uh, and uh, they would tell you. But... We agree upon, around this table that would you choose the A-levels, the ISL or the Ateneo? Uh, it comes up to making a choice, mm -hmm. but listening to what your kids have to say as well. Yes. Because that's an important thing. Mm. Uh, if they want to follow their classmates from primary school into the national system, let them do it. Yeah. And maybe at age 14, 15, they will want to switch to an uh, international system because they feel more comfortable in English. If they want to go straight ahead to uh, A-levels, let them do that. If they want to give it a try. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's very important to listen to them, even if they're only 10 or 11 years old. Mm -hmm. They have a voice and they they already know a tiny bit what they want to do. And pushing them into a system because you think that academically they will mm -hmm. succeed afterwards, uh, that can backfire very, very early. Yeah, because If, school has changed a lot yeah. from when we all went to school. Yeah, And sometimes that's, that's a message that is really quite tough to get across, mm -hmm. that it really has changed tremendously. And parents need to think what happens today is good. It's a positive change in a different direction. Yeah. And just because it's not all exactly the same as when we all went to school, that doesn't mean to say it's bad. Most people would think it might not even be keeping pace with the level of change right. in our world around us because we often hear the phrase, the jobs that the students are being trained for yes, won't exist exactly. when they grow up. Well, they don't. And they I, don't. I, I think the, <laughs> they won't. I think the other point to make to your listeners is that, uh, you know, please, if they're considering the the programs whether it's in the national system or in the international schools please do come and talk to us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know we're really happy um to sit down with prospective parents you know with visitors to schools and to talk through the advantages of our own programs obviously but we're also very happy to point out where else they could go if we don't have a space or we feel that the pattern or the character of the child doesn't necessarily match the, the program that we can offer so that's really important that, that parents aren't put off by the complexity of the educational choice that's here and they, um, they, they go around and have a look and, mm -hmm. at the different programmes that are on offer. I was just going to say, I'm sure we all have open houses coming up yep. in the spring. We have Mine's online ones. at the moment. Well, we have so, virtual uh, ones in two or three weeks' time. So, you know... Get on board yeah. with all of those open houses at the different schools and just hear as much information as you can. Yes, we, sh we still offer in-person tours, but th mm -hmm. they're obviously um, 
you know, masks. How luxurious. Yes. <laughs> masks and, and so on. But um, yes, or just get in touch with us and, yeah, and yeah. we're happy. To, we're always happy to help. Thank you yes. all so much for your time and for your expertise. And I'm sure you'll have many parents on the website looking at the admissions and knocking on your doors, but hopefully not too much so that you can also enjoy the rest of this week, which is meant to be a half term week. Thank you all. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.